Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. You know, I just did a spiritual warfare message series a few months ago, but I'm convinced there's a way to think about spiritual warfare that we don't normally consider, but we should be. There's something going on that's changing the fabric of our nation and our world, and it's a spiritual problem. I'm going to be talking about it for two weeks starting today. Good morning. Man, it's good to see you guys here today. Glad to have a full house, glad to have family in town, and glad for those of you that are joining us online today and watching us uh, live and even later. Uh, so you may have heard, you may have heard that I've got something really kind of on my heart that I really wanted to share. I was gone for a couple of weeks. Uh, I had a uh, study break. I just get away and just try to seek God for a little bit, uh, a couple of times a year, and uh, just I try to read and write and pray and just listen and uh, be out in the mountains and everything, and it was wonderful. And then we had a staff retreat right behind that. Uh, it was great. We hadn't had a staff retreat in years, so it was great to have everybody kind of get away, and we kind of did some assessment of some things that we're doing here, and it was just really good. And in my absence, Ken Can did a great job bringing the message uh, from Mark a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, Stephen Mansell did a great job, fantastic job bringing the message from Mark as we're studying through the book of Mark. So I really appreciate them doing that. But I'm, I'm thrilled to be here today because now for the first time in this series, we're going to do something a little different. So normally we kind of move through Mark. We're moving through Mark a little bit at a time, but I'm going to stop for just a minute. And this will be the first time that I preach at least two messages out of the same passage. So I'm going to be in the same passage two weeks in a row um, because I feel like this is a really important moment in the life of Jesus and I feel like right now, today, 2023, is a really important moment in the life of believers. And so we're going to look at this parallel that's going on here, I think, between what's happening with Jesus in Mark chapter 1 in this particular story of his first encounter with a demon. It's the first recorded encounter that we have of Jesus and a demon. And we're going to look at this closely, so close that we're going to take two weeks to do it. Now, just a heads up today, I'm just going to kind of lay a quick foundation. I'm just going to kind of, you know, define some terms and lay down a foundation. And then next Sunday, next Sunday, a week from today, uh, I'm really going to talk about the parallel moment that I think that we're in. And we're going to look closely at um, how demons encounter us today. And I know, I know there's a lot of folks, I know there's a lot of folks that that might upset a little bit. I know there's folks that believe that demons aren't a real thing or were a real thing but aren't now or whatever. And I'm just here to tell you that demons are alive and well and more active today than ever. Yeah. I'm here to tell you that it's more of a thing today even than it was in Jesus's day. And that's what we're going to be talking about this week and especially next week. And so I hope you're part of it. Uh, we've made sure that there are extra notebooks available for you. Uh, 
uh, because I want you to be able to take and keep notes. I think you're going to want to refer back to some of these notes. I think they hopefully will make a difference in your life. And when you're done in our study of Mark, if you keep those notes in that notebook, you'll have your own little compiled commentary on the book of Mark. So I just want to be helpful to you. And those notebooks are available right outside. You probably saw them on your way in, uh, and you can get one on your way out. I hope you'll do that. Okay, I got to move on. Are we ready to go? We're in Mark chapter 1, and uh, we're picking up kind of where we left off, and Mark is trying to show us something about Jesus. He's showing more than he's telling. He's not just drawing a straight line for us. He's actually kind of proven his point. He's showing, not telling here in chapter 1. He wants us to see Jesus for who he really is. But in chapter 1, it's okay. In chapter 1, you know, everybody hadn't figured it out quite yet, right? It's just chapter 1. I mean, here in chapter 1, the people of Galilee did not know who Jesus was just yet. They hadn't figured it out. The Pharisees uh, knew of Jesus and were just starting to pay attention. He had just gotten their attention a little bit, and so they're starting to kind of sniff around and investigate who Jesus really is. And the disciples have just been called by Jesus, and they have no idea yet what they're in for. They think they're following a good teacher, a rabbi, but they have no idea who it is that they're really following yet. It's okay, though. We're here just at the beginning of the story. It's still chapter 1, and you would think it would be obvious to us by now. You know, in verse 21, where we pick up, you'd think it would be really obvious because we've already seen in chapter 1, in verses 1 through 3, we saw the prophecy from Isaiah that talked about the coming Messiah. We saw the testimony of John the Baptist. Uh, We saw that the entire Trinity was present at Jesus' baptism. We saw his temptation in the wilderness. We saw his uniquely kingdom message that Ken unpacked for us a couple of weeks ago. And we saw what he called his disciples to last week. Stephen, thank you for unpacking that. We've seen a lot so far. It should be obvious who Jesus is. That's what Mark is doing here. He's showing us who Jesus is. So I'm going to ask you a question. I just want you to write this down. It's the first blank on your page. Do I know who Jesus is really? Do I know who Jesus is really? Mark is showing us But he's not quite being straight up with us about it. And he gives us another really big clue, a very important clue in this section that we're going to look at starting today. Verse 21, here we go. And they, that's Jesus and his disciples, they went into Capernaum on the Sabbath, and he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. So they go into the Capernaum, and they go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. So I've been showing you where Jesus is so far in the story. You know the nation of Israel here, right by the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, It is kind of a long uh, country this way, and uh, Jerusalem down here in the south, but we're zooming in right here to the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus moves around a lot already in just 20 verses. He's moving around a whole lot. And he arrives here right after calling his disciples in 
Capernaum. He arrives there. Capernaum's an important town uh, in Jesus' day. Uh, back then, it was uh, still a small town by our standards, but a big town in that region. It was a Roman polling place, so it was a Roman outpost. That's where Levi was stationed. And at that time, there was a half-mile-long, eight-foot-tall seawall with 100-foot um, docks jutting out into the Sea of Galilee where there was always action going on, a lot of fishing going on there in this very important fishing village. We were there a year ago and walked in the synagogue. There's the 4th century ruins of the synagogue built on the foundation of the one where Jesus was teaching in verse 21. Archaeologists have also uncovered Peter's house there. No one disputes that this is Peter's house, and they've built this church right over the top of it. It's an elevated church building, and you can look down through glass in the floor, and you can see into Peter's actual house. It's an amazing, amazing thing. We were there a year ago. We're going to be there again in just a little over three weeks. So Jesus is here, and on the Sabbath day, like any good Jew, he goes to the synagogue, and he begins teaching. Now, this might give us the best hint at how people saw Jesus at this time, right? Because it was common for rabbis to travel from place to place and teach in the different synagogues. You couldn't just walk up and be like, hey, man, I want to teach today. I mean, you had to kind of be somebody, in order to do that. And so I think it's really likely that at this point in the story, most people saw Jesus as sort of a traveling rabbi, maybe an itinerant preacher going from place to place, and he has the privilege of preaching in the synagogue on this particular Sabbath day. But there's something very different about the way Jesus goes about this. Jesus does something really different than what the people were used to. They were used to the scribes and the Pharisees, the traveling rabbis and the stationary scribes uh, who would teach in the synagogues. They were used to the, the guy who was the Ph.D. of their society, the guy that was the most educated, most sophisticated. He would come and he would put the scroll down on the table and unroll the scroll and he would read a section from the Word of God, and then he would comment on it. He would comment. He would remark on it using logic and using arguments from other rabbis. So the scribes and the Pharisees in the synagogue every Sabbath always were doing the same thing, reading and commenting, reading and commenting. They were analyzing the law, and then they were talking about it, interpreting it explaining what it all meant, what this guy thinks with that guy. They were analyzing the minutiae of everything, and that's what they did every single Sabbath all the time in the synagogues. But Jesus is doing something different. He's doing something really different. He's not just reading and commenting like most rabbis. Let's see what he does in verse 22. It says, The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. This was different from what they'd ever heard before. This was not like the teaching they were used to. They were astonished. The word astonished means to be dumbstruck or struck with awe. They were amazed at his authoritative teaching. He has 
taught as one with authority. The word authority here uh, is the word exousia, right? And this word means power, authority, strength, control, or rule. Okay, so Jesus is teaching in this very authoritative exousia way. The word is actually kind of a compound. Ex means out of, and usia means substance. So the scribes and the Pharisees are always commenting on the law uh, and analyzing the subtleties of the nuance of it, but Jesus is talking out of the substance of being God himself. These guys were always looking at it and talking about it, but Jesus was just talking about himself and his relationship with his father. This was a completely different thing than anything they were ever used to. Jesus didn't just have analysis. He had personal experience. Instead of interpretation of minutia, he just talked about who he was and what his father was all about. I wonder if this is why our evangelism efforts are difficult. You know, we set a goal here at the Orchard Church of reaching 150 people for Christ. You know, many of us have, have named three names. We're praying for three specific people to come to know Christ this year. Lord, use me. Lord, use me in these people's lives. Give me an opportunity to share Christ. But a lot of us haven't done that yet. We're scared. We're worried of what they might think of us. We're worried, oh, it'll hurt their feelings. We're worried about how to act. We're worried about what that might look like for us. And I wonder, I wonder if we have difficulty with it because we're really, really good at analyzing the minutia of our theology, but we don't really have a lot of substantive experience in a relationship with God. Let me ask it this way. Next blank on your page. Do I have a relationship with the Bible or do I have a relationship with the God of the Bible? Am I all about knowing what I'm supposed to know? Am I all about believing what I'm supposed to believe? Or do I know Him? You see, I promise to you, Jesus did not come here and die on the cross so that you could have good theology. That's not His intent at all. Yes, I want you to have good theology. We have uh, systematic theology classes that we do here at the church. I, I love doing those. I want you to have good theology, but that's not why Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you because you were a broken sinner separated from God, and your sin made you a traitorous criminal against a holy God. You had no relationship with him and you had no hope because your sin making you a criminal means that you were under the death penalty. You didn't deserve a relationship with God. You deserved to be killed, just like me. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus came here with no sin of his own and he taught with authority. He showed us the Father and then he went to the cross and all the blame for your crimes against God were put onto Jesus on the cross. He took the blame for what you and I did and he died in our place. 
He was punished for us. He goes to the grave, and three days later, he rose again to give us new life, to give us a real, substantive relationship with his Father. His reason for dying wasn't theology. It was relationship with God. He wants to heal you and restore you and make you new. Can I get an amen? amen. Anybody experience that here? That's what he does. He gives us that substantive relationship. He died and he rose again so that we could know him. So the people were astonished. They were astonished at his teaching that he's being revealed as the one with the exousia, with the authority. And they're realizing that they have no clue. They're realizing that they don't even know who he is. And that's when it happened. That's when the first flash in this holy war actually happened. He's teaching with authority. They're all astonished. And then, verse 23, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Okay, what just happened? Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, someone's screaming at him. Have you come to destroy us? What have you to do with us? So who is this guy? Who is this guy? And why is he in the synagogue? Why is he in church with the other church people? You know, I wonder, I wonder who this guy is. Mark doesn't tell us, but I wonder if he was like a regular there, if he was that weird, creepy guy. You know, there's one in every church, the weird, creepy guy that you just hope doesn't make eye contact. You just, you just hope you can get through a service without him talking, you know, that one. You, you know, every church has that one creepy guy. If you, if you don't know who, which one our church has, it's probably you. Am I right, Wes Rickman? Um, so all we know, <laughs> you knew that, didn't you? You knew. <laughs> oh, man. So we don't know anything about, we don't know if he was new in town. We don't know what he was doing there. We don't have any clues about what he, as far as we can tell, as far as we can tell up to this point, this guy just blends in. This demon-possessed guy, as far as we can tell, is good at blending in with all of the spirit-possessed people. What's going on? And what does that say about us today? We're going to be talking about that next week some. All we know, all we really know about this man is that he's a man with an unclean spirit. He's got an unclean spirit. So Mark doesn't use the word for demon here like he does in other encounters later on in his own book. He just says that this man uh, is described as a man with an unclean spirit. So the reader is understood, is, is supposed to understand that unclean spirit is just a way biblically to describe a demon. All right, the word for demon is diamonios, does not appear right here, uh, but that's what he's talking about, a uh, demon. So what is an unclean spirit? What is a demon? Demons are spirit creatures that were originally created to be good by God as part of the heavenly host. 
They were the heavenly host of spirit beings, but demons are the ones that chose the wrong side. When rebellion broke out in heaven, they chose to side with Lucifer in his attempted overthrow of the king. And because they sided with him, uh, they chose the wrong side. And God, instead of just smiting his enemies, he casts them out of heaven. And today, these fallen angels, these demons, they roam to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom they may destroy. They're out to spread lies and chaos, let me tell you. They're out to spread anxiety and fear. They're out to spread doubt. They're out to spread sorrow. Man, if you're, if you're struggling right now with anxiety, if you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling with lies, if you're not sure what to believe in life, that's demonic activity right there. When you start questioning, I, I'm, all for, I'm all for questioning your faith. I'm all for questioning the pastor. I'm all for you coming to me after a church service and saying, hey, man, I was reading my Bible. I don't think I agree with you right here. Can we talk about it? I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But, dude, if you start questioning, if you start questioning is God really God and what's he really doing in my life, dude, that's demonic activity. I hear its voice every time the news channel is on in my house. I, I see it just about every time Netflix is on in my house. I hear it in the attitudes of some of the people I know. I, I see it going on all around me. Their goal is to spread division, lies, doubts, chaos, and create anxiety they're out to destroy us any way they can and do whatever they can do to keep us in darkness, doubt, and confusion so that we will do anything but worship the one true God. That's their, that's their ultimate agenda is to keep us from worshiping God himself. So... Uh, now, don't, don't misunderstand. These are not like wild animal type spiritual beings. Don't make the mistake. They are highly organized, hierarchically structured, warlike beings that have a strategy on you and on me. They want to destroy you. So I don't have time to go into all that today, but I want to refer you back to a couple of messages that I've done before. So I'm just going to give you the heads up. If you go to YouTube and you just do a search for the Orchard Church LJ, remember there's a bunch of Orchard Churches, search Orchard Church LJ, that usually pulls us right on up. And if you go back to a sermon series I did last year, it's called the Superstructure Series. The very first one in that series is one of my favorite sermons ever. Uh, it's called, uh, it's part one, it's called the, the Big Question, Why? And in that one message, it's kind of a long message, I attempt to answer the question, why did God create the universe and this world and all of us? <laughs> no pressure. I just tried to answer that question as much as I could from a biblical perspective. And it gives the overview on what happened in heaven, what God's doing in this world, and how this is all going to end up. It's all one big Arc, and I try to present it right there in that particular message. I highly recommend that one to get a better understanding. And then after that superstructure series, I did the Stand and Win. It's a spiritual warfare series. 
And so all of these messages, I think there's six in the whole series, all of these are uh, hopefully really good and helpful for you to deal with demonic activity, with dealing with spiritual warfare uh, in your life. So uh, please make, uh, those are out there for you, and I hope they're helpful uh, to you. So back to the story, back to the story. Uh, verse 23, here's what's going on. Immediately there was, this, there was the man with the unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Notice, as far as we can tell, this is unplanned, unexpected, unanticipated uh, interruption. Normally, you see biblically people dealing with demon possession. They've got convulsions and shaking and even violent frenzies and squealing and screaming, maybe foaming at the mouth, that kind of stuff. But none of that seems to be going on here. Just all of a sudden, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? Wait, us? Who is us? Clearly, this is not just a guy with one demon. Maybe there's multiple. We see other instances of that in Scripture. Maybe maybe this is a demon speaking on behalf of the demon kingdom. Maybe saying, have you come to destroy us? Whatever's going on here, this is the first challenge to Jesus' authority. He's teaching with authority, and the result is this flashpoint. It's a challenge to his authority, and it's this challenge, it's this challenge that I'm really gonna zoom in on next Sunday. I'm really gonna zoom in, and we're gonna unpack what this challenge is, and we're gonna look at its parallel to today. I don't have time to get into all that now. So just for now, know that the demon is challenging the authority of Jesus because demons hate Jesus. I, I'm going to say that again. The demon is challenging Jesus' authority because Jesus is hated by demons. Am I being clear here? Demons challenge the authority of Jesus because they hate Jesus. Does that make you pause for a minute? Because as I was thinking about that this week, it made me pause because I challenge his authority all the time. I mean, I, I know I don't give like he expects me to give. That's my money. That's my kingdom. I know I don't serve all the time the way Jesus expects me to serve. That's my time. I need my time, my kingdom. I don't always share my faith when he prompts me. He's literally nudging me to open my mouth and share my faith, and I don't always do that. I shrink back. That's my status, my kingdom. Am I really a disciple or am I more like this demon guy that sees Jesus as a threat to his own kingdom? What about you? Am I the only one? Do you see Jesus as the king? Or like this demon guy, do you see Jesus as a threat to your own kingdom? Do I even know who Jesus is, really. 
After all these years, am I still just stuck in chapter one, just trying to figure out who he is? I claim him, I name him, I think he's mine, I think I'm his, but maybe I don't even really know who he is. So it's this moment when this demon is asking this question, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And then the demon says something that ought to shock us. He says this, he says, I know who you are. The Pharisees don't know yet. The people here in the synagogue don't know yet. Your own disciples don't even know yet, but I know, I know who you really are. And he calls him the Holy One of God. He recognized Jesus. Next blank on your page, the demons know who he is really. The demons know who he is, really. That's why this authority challenge is a fearful one. Have you come to destroy us? Because the demons know what Jesus is going to do. The demons know how this all ends up at the end of it all, right? They know that Jesus wins, that evil will be destroyed, and that the light of God will prevail. Can I get an amen? They know how this all ends up, and they know who he is. And listen to me. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's not that you just believe something about the way all of this ends, but it means that you know who he is really, and that you are following him every day out of the darkness and more and more into the light. Hello? That's what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian means that what happens at the end is happening in you right now. What happens at the end is happening in you every day right now. Sin dealt with. God glorified. Jesus on the throne, crowns all laid down. Am I right? That's what it looks like to be a Christian right now. Because it's going to happen in the end. Every eye will see, every tongue will confess, every knee shall bow. Everyone one day will know who he is, really. Do I know? Do I know who he is, really? This demon sure did. He clearly identifies Jesus as the Holy One of God. And Jesus is very excited about this. Oh, you recognize. Is that what happens? No, look at what happens. It's weird what happens next. Jesus rebukes him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of the man. Jesus speaks, and the demon has no choice but to obey. Jesus says, get out, and the demon has got to go. In the first test of Jesus' authority, his authority is fully verified. Notice that Jesus does not answer the demon's question. Jesus ain't got to. He is under no obligation to answer the questions of demons, and he does not tolerate demons. He just shows up, and they got to go. Demons may be a threat to humans. They may oppress. They may even possess uh, because they're a different order of being. They're real and they're active today in the world, 
but demons are no threat at all to Jesus. Hello? Hello? Demons are no threat to Jesus. And if you have Jesus living in you, demons are no threat to you also. So in verse 27, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What just happened here? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. I I'm, I feel like that they're like Tommy Boy. They're like, dude, that was awesome, right? They just can't get out. They're like, dude, did you see that? Did you see what he did? I mean, did you hear what happened? That guy just yelled at Jesus, and he spoke. We've been praying for that guy for years. That guy had a, that guy had a spirit in him, whole other order of being, and Jesus just spoke. Dude, did you see that? Woo! They were amazed at what had just happened as Jesus is clearly showing who he really is. And the result in verse 28, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. His fame spread. They couldn't stop talking about it. Did you see that? It was awesome. It was amazing. You should have been there. I can't believe what happened. And they just went everywhere they went just talking about Jesus. That's kind of our goal this year at the Orchard Church in 2023. We want to win 150 people to Christ. We just want to spread his fame around. We want people to know the Jesus that we know. We want to be the ones going, that was awesome. I just got to tell you about him. I just got to tell you, I've seen him at work. I've seen him do stuff that I can barely even describe. So I'm just going to tell you all I can tell you. And I want to be the guy that just won't shut up about Jesus. I just want to be the guy that I, I just got to tell you about how awesome he is. And think about it. These people in Capernaum had not even figured it out yet. They still did not know who he was, right? Because think about it. In chapter 1 of Mark, Jesus had not even preached the Sermon on the Mount. He had not fed 5,000. He had not walked on the water. He had not prophesied about his death and resurrection. He had not been transfigured on that mountain he had not gone to the cross. He had not risen again. He had not ascended to heaven. He had not sent the Holy Spirit. And they didn't have 2,000 years of faithful testimony from martyrs and missionaries. They didn't even have the New Testament yet. They didn't even have the book of Mark that they're in. All they knew was that they had seen him do something, and that was awesome. And so they couldn't stop talking about it. They had seen an amazing, powerful casting out of the demon, and they hadn't seen nothing yet. So my question is this, next Mike on your page, have I seen him at work? Have I seen Jesus at work in my life? Maybe, <clears throat> maybe that's why it's so difficult for us to share our faith. Maybe we haven't really seen him at work. Maybe we are a lot more like the Pharisees and the scribes than we care to admit. We have a relationship with the Bible, but we aren't actually seeing the active work of God in our lives on an ongoing basis. Maybe our walk with him isn't substantive. Maybe it's not usia, but maybe it's superficial. Maybe it's superficial enough to where we haven't really figured out who he is yet. 
and we haven't seen him do anything in our lives worth talking about. I don't know about you, but I've seen him at work. I've seen him heal sick people. Come on, have you? I've seen him raise the spiritually dead. I've seen him put, there's people that sit in this room with us week after week, and I know where they were in a broken marriage with no hope, but I've watched God put the marriage back together again. Something only God could have possibly done. I've seen him defeat demons, and I've seen him change lives. I wish I had time to tell you the stories about his constant provision in my life. I wish I had time to tell you the stories about his ongoing faithfulness, even when I was doubtful and unfaithful to him. Dude, I've seen some stuff, and it's been awesome. Psalm 86 says, all the nations you made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name for you are great and you perform wonderful deeds. You alone are God. Is he worth praising? Is he worth talking about? Is he worth spreading the news about? It's getting quieter and quieter in here. In Acts 4, it says this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's his name that's worth praising. It's his glory that's worth proclaiming. Last blank on your page, his fame is worth spreading. Amen? Amen.